everybody. My name is John Jorgensen, and welcome back to the John Cast. Today, we continue moving forward in this summer reading series where we are getting down and nerdy in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today, we take another step forward on this Gospel cooking show or I guess with the metaphor we've been using, it's technically a baking show. But so far, uh, in this summer reading series, we've discussed the three main ingredients for this gospel cake. The flour, the sugar, and I guess the butter, if you will. And last week, we discussed the virtue-forming nature of the gospel accounts, that these books are meant to be read not just for the sake of information, but for the sake of transformation. The gospels at their core are a tool for discipleship. They are meant to change us as a result of us reading them. We also discussed the theological message of the gospels, that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived here on earth as it is in heaven, while each of these four accounts have their own specific individual focus, which we will look at in coming weeks, a a grand theme that weaves itself through all of them is that theological claim of God taking control and God reigning here on earth as he does in heaven through Jesus. And then finally, a few weeks ago, we learned how the gospel authors do their history, how we often think about history in terms of just a list of facts. But really, what good history is both now and in the first century is interpreting the facts through a certain lens in order to tell a certain story and make a certain point. Those are our first three main ingredients based on Jonathan Pennington's definition of the gospel in his book, Reading the Gospels Wisely. The gospels are historical, theological, and virtue-forming narratives. Today, then, I want to put our history caps back on, and instead of talking about the history within the gospel, I want to discuss the historical context surrounding the gospel. So we're going to do a little bit of time travel. We're going to go back in time, if you will. Sweet Bear will be very excited because her favorite movie of all time is, guess what? About Time. If you haven't seen it, Donald Gleason, Rachel McAdams, Bill Nighy. Highly, highly recommend. Great movie. Great book. Anyway, let's talk about some different books. The four books that start the New Testament tell the story of Jesus's life in the first century, living specifically in the Palestinian slash Israeli territory in the Middle East. This is modern day Israel. This is near modern day Iraq, Syria, uh, just sort of northwest of Egypt. And this small, very specific corner of the globe has been the center of immense conflict, both recently with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but also all throughout history. And Jesus's day was no different. First century Palestine was a turbulent hotbed, both politically and religiously. If you've read the Old Testament, then you know that the nation of Israel endured political and military invasion after invasion. All throughout the Old Testament, we read stories of Israel being occupied by different empires, whether it's the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, even the Persian Empire. And first century Jerusalem was no different. It was occupied at the time of Jesus by yet another global superpower, this time 
Rome. Rome, under the leadership of Caesar, had moved into provinces all over the Mediterranean Sea and taken control. And they'd taken control of the regions surrounding Jerusalem and established their own government and leaders over the Jewish people. This happened several years before Jesus' birth, went straight through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and even beyond him. Historian John Barton describes this moment in history as both turbulent and complicated. He said that the Roman presence was not always oppressive. The Roman Empire worked by allowing subject peoples to live largely under their own laws, provided these did not conflict with Roman law, and to be ruled by their own kings where it was deemed safe. Essentially, if you were Jewish in the first century and you played by Rome's rules, you would have no problems. But if you were to speak out or went against Rome in any way, then we got problems. And this type of political occupation and oppression led to a wide variety of responses from the Jewish people. For example, the Jewish leadership in religion, aka the high priest, often worked in tandem with the Roman governor and leadership. They work together. We see an example of this in the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. We read how the Messiah is passed between Caiaphas, the high priest, to Pilate, the Roman governor, and even in one account, he is thrown over to Herod, the Jewish puppet king of the region. However, there were many sects of Judaism that did not play so nice with Rome at the time. If you remember the the national narrative, the story that the Jewish people carried was one of eagerly awaiting God's salvation and establishment of his kingdom amongst his chosen people. And so Rome, occupying the holy city of Jerusalem, was obviously an obstacle to this kingdom. But there were a lot of different ideas in the first century amongst the Jewish people on what exactly God's kingdom would look like. There were the Pharisees, who were literally religious in their pursuit to keep themselves societally distinct from Roman or Greek influence. The Pharisees believed that God's kingdom would only come to those who strictly observed the laws of the Torah found in the Old Testament. Then we have groups like the Zealots or the Laestes, who often rose up with physical, violent rebellions against the occupying Romans. They believed that God's kingdom would come through war and through physical destruction of their enemies. And those are just a few examples. But this is the world that Jesus was born into. This is the hotbed of religious and political conflict that Jesus taught and healed and did his ministry from within. And I hope you can see How in a world like this, Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God being established on earth for all people through him, a nonviolent traveling rabbi, I hope you're beginning to see how that kind of message would have ruffled a few feathers. It would have ruffled feathers politically, and it definitely would have ruffled feathers religiously. The message of Jesus in the Gospels, his message of God's kingdom It threatened the power of the Romans. It threatened the comfort of the high priest. 
It threatened the exclusivism of the Pharisees. It threatened the ambition of the zealots. And you can go on and on and on down the list of how Jesus's announcement, his version of the kingdom of God, was not only completely different than any other of his day, but it sort of spat in the face of many of the power structures that existed in first century Palestine. And when we read the gospel accounts with this cultural context in the back of our minds, it helps to shed new light on many of the encounters and relationships that Jesus has with religious and political figures. We start to understand why a Pharisee like Nicodemus would have met with Jesus secretly at night in John chapter 3 or why Jesus's main teaching tool was parables, these abstract stories that required careful interpretation. We begin to see the significance and how astonishing it is when a Roman soldier is the one to name Jesus's identity as the Son of God after his crucifixion in Mark's account. In reading the Gospels with their world and cultural context in mind, not only helps us understand these individual stories better, but we start to understand the point of these accounts, the point that they served in their first century context. We start to see these stories as a radical announcement that threatens the human power structures of both religion and government, and instead challenges us as readers to truly put God in charge of our lives and our culture. Now, that's getting a little bit in the weeds, but to be completely honest with you, we are only dipping our pinky toe into the ocean that is first century history. And so I want to land the plane real quick, and then I want to give you a few more resources for those of you who want to dive a little bit more deeply into this uh, historical research. But first... When reading the gospel accounts, I would encourage you to keep in mind two cultural realities. Just keep them in your back pocket. Keep them in the background of your mind as you read. First, keep in mind the reality of oppressive Roman occupation amongst the Jews. And secondly, keep in mind the feelings of Jewish nationalism and superiority that they were God's chosen people and God was going to come and redeem them from their enemies. If you keep these two cultural realities in mind when reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I promise it will help to illuminate so many stories in the gospel accounts in a whole new way. If you are really nerdy like me and interested in diving a little bit deeper uh, into the cultural context of the first century, I'll recommend two books by N.T. Wright, Simply Jesus and The New Testament in Its World. Both of these are a really great starting point for learning a bit more about the history surrounding Jesus's life and the way it is depicted in the gospel accounts. But As always, I would love to hear any thoughts or questions or reflections that you're having. You can hit me up on Instagram at John Jorgensen. Also, don't forget to check out uh, the sermon that I uploaded on the JohnCast feed yesterday. I know this series has been very, very academic, and many of you are missing some sermons. And so I threw one out yesterday that I'd been working on for a while, and so I wanted to share it with you. So make sure you go back, if you haven't listened to it, and check out the sermon, uh, The Limit Does Not Exist. Other than that, 
that's all I have for you this week. I hope your gospel reading will be enlightened by what we've discussed here today. And I'll see you next week right here on the Johncast. I love you all. Keep being awesome. <laughs>